Okay, well, welcome, uh, welcome to our Hebrews class. We introduced last week and got things going, but uh, today we're going to jump into the text and, uh, and get to our study of Hebrews proper. Really appreciate a lot of y'all being here. And uh, let's start off this morning with a word of prayer, if you will. Father in heaven, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for the rain that we've had. And Father, we know that all these blessings come from you. The most important blessing we have from you is Jesus. And we pray that as we study the book of Hebrews, which is encouraging those people not to drift away from the, the hope they have in Jesus, help us, Father, to take that same encouragement. May we learn their lessons, may we apply them in our lives, and may we stand solid with Jesus no matter what for the rest of our days. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Okay. Um, just a little bit of review from last week. Um, this is a little bit from what both Mitch and I talked about. Remember that, that this class material is an aid for your preparation. Uh, we may or may not hit all the questions in this exactly that's here, but by sitting and doing and thinking about these things, you'll be much better prepared for class. So take it as that. I encourage everybody to at least figure out how once a week to read the book of Hebrews. It takes you about 30 minutes. It will help to keep everything in context. I mean, today we're just going to look at four verses. It's like, why do I have to read the whole book? We're going to read it look at four verses. Well, it just helps keeps it helps me keep things in context, so that's just a suggestion to you. You have a sheet of memory work, and it's on the back of the class schedule. Um, anybody want to take a, a shot at the, the first from the first chapter, what your memory work is for that chapter? Anybody have it in mind yet? What's that? Jesus is better than angels. There you go. So that's that's as simple as our memory as our memory work is. But if you look on the back of the uh, class schedule, and you will see there are 13 entries, and there are there's essentially a sentence for each chapter. And we hope that by the end of this class, by the end of November, that we all can just kind of quickly say, here you go. We can all quickly say, hey, Jesus is better than angels. Don't drift away. Boom, 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 and go through all, all of that. So use that as just a, as your prompter to take away your own quick outline of Hebrews so that in the future you can look, turn to a chapter and find something more quickly as you're, as you're doing your study. Be prepared to contribute. This class did a great job of contributing last week, and we'll, we'll pass out some things to talk about that in a second. Uh, keep uh, doing that. And I would also encourage you in your book, there is a Jesus is Better log. Um, a couple of pages that are there for you to write down as you read or as we're in class, wherever it hits you, um, a thought about why Jesus is better as presented from Hebrew. So it's just called the Jesus is Better Log. It looks like this. Uh, it's back in front of the, the introduction lesson. Um, we'll actually make a couple entries of that today if you haven't done that already. So that's just an encouragement to, to use that lesson book um, as a way to help you in your study. Last week, we introduced the book, and these are some facts that we told you that as we understand them. The first fact is we don't know who wrote the book. The author did not say who wrote the book. Um, it just um, So we don't know. People have conjectured Paul. People have conjectured an associate of Paul. People have conjectured other people. The reality is the text doesn't tell us that. Should we be concerned about that? Well, church... Members of the church who wrote that we have documents from as early as around 200 A.D. took Hebrews as authoritative scripture. 
And when you read Hebrews compared to Scripture, it is, it's just like authoritative Scripture. It's not like those other books that have been left out of our Bible that weren't like authoritative Scripture, nor were accepted by early, early leaders. So our fact is that this is an inspired uh, book of God, and that's the basis on which we're going to be teaching this. It apparently was written by somebody who knew the Hebrews very well. Maybe had been amongst them. But clearly knows what they had been through in life. And we're going to study that as we, as we move ahead here. He also knew that they were very familiar with the Old Testament. This book will challenge you to become a good Old Testament um, student when you read through it because we're going to be going back there a lot. Um, actually, starting on Wednesday night, we'll start getting our first uh, view of looking at that. One of the major themes of this book is falling away from full commitment to Christ. The second chapter is don't drift away. We're going to hit that phrase really quick. That's an important thing here. So we need to take the opportunity to learn from an inspired book of the Lord with a lot of words he put on the page to encourage a group of Christians to not drift away. It's important that we understand we could drift away and how do we keep ourselves from doing that? Uh, interesting little paragraph that um, that I read in one of the main sources that I've used outside the Bible, um, and, and Mitch and I are both are using this commentary, of a man named McClister wrote this. Hebrews presents us with a picture of Jewish Christians who were confused about their faith. They were weary of persecution and alienation, and they were leaning toward quitting to find relief from the oppression that they felt. Hebrews was written to inform their faith more perfectly, to encourage them, and to warn them not to quit following Jesus. He's the best thing you could ever follow in your life, no matter what it costs. You will remember last week, we did this little exercise. And the exercise was, what draws us away from full commitment in Christ? So I'm going to give out... Uh, some copies here. Uh, if you don't mind, if, yeah. you, if you've got a free hand from something, yeah. I would love for you to help pass them out on that side. And uh, we can just pass them out or pass them down on this side. So this is just your work product, those of you who, who were here last week. I'm just going to give a few here. Pass them the extra ones to the middle. We'll pick them up later. Um, three, I three-hole punched it so you can put so you can put in your notebook. So we asked this question. What draws us away from full commitment? We shared things that maybe we know from our personal life or we know from the lives of those we love, those we know. I took the liberty of taking the answers that you gave and categorizing them. So you see some categories around there. So basically, that exercise last week, we identified some of these major reasons that people might lose their commitment. They get caught up in a religious error, or they go back to a previous religion that had religious error. They get caught up in worldly lifestyles, beginning to believe what the world is saying about lifestyle. Or they may be caught up in an addiction, or have a previous addiction. They fail to grow or mature. They fall under worldly philosophies. We talked about one of those. I'm okay, you're okay. Everybody's really, as long as they're being religious, they're all okay. There's, there's many paths to God. There's all kinds of statements of that, those kind of philosophies. Those are worldly philosophies. They have peer pressure, or they have family pressure, or they have persecution, 
sometimes even from the government. The Hebrews actually had experienced all of those things. We'll, we'll look at that as we move through here. They fail to, because of inadequacies of their congregation, receive encouragement, or they refuse to receive encouragement. There were things that you answered that, that tended in that, in that level from the brethren. So encouragement from their brethren was cut off for whatever reason, and they were not receiving that encouragement. So I just thought as, as, we, as we made that list last week, and this is one that you, you've got a piece of paper and you can keep it a living list as things occur to you as you think about this. This will help us to look for some of these things, some of these things that we all know just from ourselves without studying are reasons that people fall away from the Lord. Let's look for these things in Hebrews and see what the Hebrew writer tells us about those things. Any questions about that? That's, that's really our, uh, our introduction. Okay. Well, we're going to open our Bibles now. Hebrews, um, the first chapter. Yes, Tony? I'm looking at the, the worldly uh, vain philosophies. I think one thing we could add in there is it kind of maybe ties in with the I'm okay, you're okay, and as people just don't want to be told what to do. And you know, there's, there's, there's lots of reasons. We'll keep the list and you can add to it there because we really what we're, we're trying to do is think about how we springboard off of this into to understanding Hebrew. So uh, I appreciate that, uh, appreciate that comment here. Hebrews 1, verse 1, and the first part of verse 2 reads, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets as in these last days spoken to us by his son okay i'm going to i'm going to start off as a teacher and may, this may be a little bit of a fishing expedition because sometimes how i'm thinking might not be how the class is thinking but there are three really big concepts in this in this set of verses that are in front of you here who would like to name the first most obvious big concept that's in this verse God. Do you know how many books of the Bible start off with introducing God? Do you think of any other places where that happens? Genesis. In the beginning, God. What other book starts off by introducing God? First John. Uh, first John, but... John. John's the Gospel of John. Yeah. Excellent. Matthew. Matthew starts off with the genealogy, so it didn't really start looking God. Look. So God is the centerpiece of this book. Okay? Second big concept you see in this book, in this verse. God? Revealed. Revealed. He spoke. We see spoke and spoke here. It's a, it's a twice-used word. Remember our little study guide I gave you? Sometimes the words are repeated. There's a big idea behind it. Spoke and spoke are here in this tiny little passage. So God spoke, or He speaks. That's the third big concept. Last day. Last day. Hmm? Not yet. Very it's not the biggest concept. What's the biggest concept? What's bigger than the last days? God speaks His Son, did you say? God speaks through His Son. In a book trying to keep people from falling away, giving up their Christianity, their relationship to Christ, the author starts off the book by saying, God speaks through His Son. Through his son. So those are the... I should have clicked these as you all said them. Um, just had them up there to do that. 
Let's talk about how God spoke. There's another way we can break this verse down, and trust me, we are not every week going to break down verses this tightly. Um, we have to we have chapters to get through, but I think this is this is a theme statement that's almost one of the most beautiful theme statements that I've read in the Bible here. God speaks or spoke, and there's a contrast given there. What are the two time periods in which the author tells us about God speaking or spoke? He spoke when? In times past. And? In the last days. In these last days. Which he said there were these last days to, to these people. Okay. So, there's, there's a change in the way that God spoke. That change is going to be very important to the book of Hebrews. And we'll see over and over and over again a comparison to what God spoke and how He spoke in the past to how He's speaking today and who He's speaking through today. That's a very, very important concept that you'll see repeated over and over in, in looking at this book. When God spoke in the past, how did He speak? Directly to us. Well, that's one way. How else did He speak? Dreams. Dreams. What did what the author Prophets. say? Prophets. Prophets. Look, look at these words of the... Through the prophets, various times, in various ways. So, so we've named some dreams. God spoke directly. Angels. God spoke through angels. Burning bush. Name Burning bush. bush. How many years? How many years of all that span? Like fifteen hundred. God spoke to Adam. How much before God spoke to, let's say, Zephaniah? What about a donkey? Even even the mouth of the donkey, okay? Okay, so that's that's how this author reminds us that God spoke in the past. Now how does God spoke? Or in these last days, to use the author's word, how does God speak? Well, I meant to drop on this. He spoke to the fathers. Um, let me just we'll get to that real quick just because I have an underline here. The fathers means your ancestors. In fact, if you look at some, uh, this is a New King James, and that's what Mitch and I will basically be using to teach out of in this class. But if you look at some other versions, you will actually see your ancestors or the ones that went before you. And so God spoke over a, a long period of time to their ancestors, to the fathers. But now, as you said, He speaks to us through His Son. Why do you think that's an important contrast, just right off the front? What's the difference in what you already know already about speaking over long periods of times in various and different ways versus speaking through the side? What, what, what impression might that have made on you if you were getting this, this book? Or what impression does it make on you today? He tells us all the same thing. Okay, so we, we have a, a central point of getting revelation. John, what we're going to... I was just thinking that... It's now different. He's not going to speak by prophets and just script Old Testament scripture, but now we need to listen to Jesus. There, clearly, there's a difference here. In fact, we're going to we're going to explore that difference a lot in Hebrews, and by the time we get to chapter two, starting next Sunday with Mitch, we're going to see that the first time that it's actually uh, that part is actually brought up. And so, the fact that he's speaking through his son is really the major theme that's here. One of the things that you can read about the about the ancients, and this would have been really the Romans and even kind of the, 
the way that uh, people at, in the Jerusalem and, and the Jews were thinking is that speaking in pieces and parts over long periods of time was a sign that the message was not complete. That it was, what's God going to say tomorrow? What new prophet is going to rise up and tomorrow give us something new, something, something different that's here? There is a, the message that you had before, which was from God, was not fully given to you. In fact, what do we know the one big thing that message pointed to that the Jews were looking for, what these Hebrews would have been looking for? And, and the Old Testament really says the Messiah is going to complete the message. And, and what, so when, when it says this incomplete message is now complete, it's final through His Son, this is really a claim that Jesus was the Messiah as well. He doesn't make that claim yet. He's going to get to it all the way to the end of chapter 1 uh, to, for, to actually look at that. But that is really what he's, what he's saying there. Did Jesus, was Jesus though just a prophet by this? Okay, so we had all these various prophets in different ways. So now we have the, we have the one final prophet, right? Was Jesus, was Jesus a prophet? In fact, he was a prophet like Moses, right? That was actually predicted in the Old Testament. But is that all? Well, this verse doesn't answer it for us yet. That's the question to ask. Is Jesus more than that? Here's a statement from Jesus in, in uh, John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Was there a difference between that statement and what Moses told them? So once again, Jesus made a big claim. His message was very different. It was final. Was, did Jesus open the possibility of some other way to God when He said that? No. If you as a Christian were Hebrew and you were getting oppression and you were thinking it might just be easier to give up Jesus, you're going to give up Jesus for what? This is the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. Um, just a couple of things that I'll say here before we move on, and, and we'll actually study this more in Hebrews as well. The fact that God speaks means what about us as His creation? That He cares about us. That He cares about us? And He has something to say to us, right? With, but then we pay attention. If... if if God was this impersonal God that some people who don't want to really obey the Bible but they really do want to believe in God, you have friends who are like that. There are a lot of people like this in the world. The fact that God spoke is the distinguishing between understanding we've got to look for His will when we understand that. And so right there, there's, there, there's that, uh, that interesting clue for us that God is speaking to us something through His Son. We need to seek that out and to, under, and, and to understand that. In Genesis, when God spoke, what happened? Creation. John tells us that God spoke through who? We're going to talk about this in more in a minute. But how did that creation actually get done? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Okay? Do you think when God speaks to us today through His Son, that something will be created? God's Word creates. What, what does God's Word create? 
today. What when Jesus spoke God's will, when God spoke for him with his life on earth, what did that end up creating? There's the church, right? There's no church before that. It created the church. What else did it create? Was there any forgiveness of sins? Yes. It created a way to forgive to forgive our sins. What else did it create, Scott? A direct line to God. A relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Right? We actually are joint heirs, we're going to find out as we're going to talk about this. So just think about those things that when God speaks that creation happens, God created something through Jesus. So we have to pay attention to what that is. Okay, let me have um, a volunteer read the verses. You can read the verse 2 through verse 3 for us here. Austin, are you already there in your Bible? I am. 2 and 3. <coughs> verses 2 and 3? Yes. Okay. As in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, had, he had, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. Look at your Bible. Seven things Austin just read that make Jesus so special and so different. So. His son. His son. He's, he is the son of no? Okay, well, that, he, he is his son, so he actually, I'm going to put That's he was. Special. Seated on majesty. He's the heir. The heir yeah. He's the heir. Okay, so heir and son is also the same. So i got to remember that you may have a little different of those. So he's the heir of the son. What else? What's the second thing? He made the word, the word, the world. He's created? What else? The lawful owner of all things. Okay, the lawful owner. Someone have another verse for you? Uh, that, that's exactly right. He upholds, upholds all things, right? Is what some, ver some versions say. What else? Purged our sins. Purged our sins. The brilliance. Or the brightness. Or the light. I can't read that, I know, but that's, we'll, we'll, I'll put a readable version up in a minute. One more. It's his image. Image of God. He is the image of God. Okay. Another important thing when you see a list like this in the Bible, it's a really important list. So there are seven things. There's the full pieces that are here. That, that the author of Hebrews says make Jesus so special. So someone who's about to fall away, think about what he does immediately. Let me tell you all the reasons Jesus is so special. Don't do it. Don't fall away. So let's let's think about some of these things uh, that are here. Um, there are some scriptures here um, that were not all. Some of them are in your in your class material, or some not. If you want a copy of this later, we can make a copy if you want it for your materials. Um, this actually, Mitch actually, when he taught this before, has some of these. I added a few things. It's a wonderful list. And this really, I want to spend so, so much time on this because we need to kick off this, this book of Hebrews with an unbelievably special appreciation of Jesus. And that's what this author tries to do in this book. 
is to kick off and to do that. Um, let me ask uh, John 3:35. Open your Bible. Someone uh, will we'll open your Bible and, and read that. Uh, read that for me. John 3:35. God appointed him. That's Jesus, the heir of all things. This person that he spoke through, his son. He appointed him heir of all things. What does John 3.35 say? Go ahead, sir. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. How many things did God not give to Jesus? How, how big is all? It's a real little word. God appointed him heir of all things. Okay? This is pointing to a place at the end of the list that we'll talk about in a minute. But just think about this. To a Jewish person, the heir conveyed what? A double portion. Did they have, was the heir have higher status in the household than the other? Well, the heir is like a successor. Heir is a successor. We have all kinds of stories. Jacob and Esau and things got confused. We actually have stories of the heir and, and, and stories that Jesus tells in the New Testament, the heir was an important role. And so when God gave something to the heir, I mean, we realize in the story of the prodigal son, the heir was going to give most of everything, so the, the prodigal got something and he went away and he wasted it. But the father in that story didn't give everything to the heir, right? He gave some to the other brother. How much did God give to this person he calls the heir? He gave all of it. That's the most important spot you could own in a house if the, if the father of the house gave the heir everything. Okay, um, Colossians 1.16, I have someone looked up for me and, and, be, and be turning to that. Colossians 1.16, God made the world through him. We've already talked about how John the first chapter says all things were made through him and without him was, no, was nothing made that was made. So if it was created, it says Jesus did that. So what does what Colossians 1.16 say? Yes, go ahead. For in him were all things created, in the heavens and upon the earth, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principles of power, all things have been created through him and unto him. We could talk an awful long time about the fact that we know God created the world, but these verses tell us God created it through Jesus. Jesus was, in, in some way, the instrument of God's creation. There's some big faults in all that that we're not going to chase down, but the writer wants them to get the big thought. This Jesus, this Son, is the one that created all things. All things were created. And in fact, the, the, the Greek word there that says worlds, when you read in this verse, God made the worlds through him, that's a word that implies the whole universe. It doesn't just mean made this earth. It means everything that they knew. And of course, they didn't know as much as we did today, but that world, it's everything that we knew. So I just would say, whenever you see this new telescope show you some pictures of things that we've never seen before, that's been there the whole time, and Jesus created that. That's his creation waiting to point us to us. So that it's just it's, it's really, really... An unbelievable thought. And I like another thought you made too. Created through him, but also for him. For him. He's heir of all things. Mm -hmm. He created it and he's and he did it for Jesus. Very good. Excellent. Ex excellent thought. 
He is the brightness of His glory. Um, someone look up uh, 2 Corinthians 4.6. We're looking that up while we're talking about this. In John 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 4.6, who's got that? Oh, go ahead. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the glory of God can be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so this, this verse doesn't say Jesus shines bright like God. That's not what, that's not what this says. What does it say? When we read those other two verses. What is Jesus? The exact the version I says the exact imprint of his nature. Well that's the next one. But, okay. he's, but this one, so God's glory, Jesus is what? <clears throat> he is the brightness. Jesus is the brightness of God. How does that work? I don't know. There's some clues to some of the words that maybe we can look and we can do a word study if you're a word study person. But in then when God shines forth in His glory. The Hebrews writer says, and Paul says, and John said, the verses we read, that's Jesus. Jesus shines forth. Jesus is the shining of the glory of God. Got your attention yet as to how important Jesus is? I hope he, I hope he had the Hebrews' attention here. Now we'll go exactly to, to, to where Scott was going. He was the ex... The, King James says the express image of God's name. John 4, uh, let's see, um, let's go to Colossians 1, verse 15. Good question. Well, somebody return that. Go ahead. Uh, would you connect the, His brightness of glory with uh, transfiguration? You, you know, it's interesting because as we, as we see, you know, God descend and Jesus being there and He's in bright shining clothes, those images are all there, right? Yeah. And so there, we certainly see clues of that the transfiguration brings forth, as well as this clue of what did God say about Jesus versus the, the major prophet and the major Moses and the lawgiver. Yeah. Hear him, right? This whole just, idea that no, he's yeah. the heir. I just didn't know if, if it was a stretch or not. So no, I don't think I don't think it is. I think I think we see those images all out. What the Hebrew what the Hebrew writers do is put them all in one packed in set of verses here. Okay, so Colossians one verse fifteen. Go ahead, Jim. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. This word express image here in Greek, um, there's two meanings that you can pull up in your, in your Greek dictionary. One is the stamp of an image on a coin. Right? So if God were the stamp, Jesus would be the coin. It would be the exact image of that. The second is the imprint of a parent on their child. When you see someone shouting, you go, oh yeah, no doubt, he's the father or she's the mother. That's the, this idea of Jesus was the expressed image. In other words, whatever God's characteristics are, his nature, his essence, as some things say, whatever those are, and we could talk about those a long time, Jesus is the exact express image of that. Where are we getting close? What's this, what's this phrase really saying? Jesus... I mean, he's the creator. He's over all things. What's this first really saying about Jesus? He's God. He's, he's God. He's divinity. He's divine. We don't get into the Trinity and those other things here. You have this. 
But he's making that claim. He is exactly God's nature. He is exactly God's nature. Colossians 1.17, I'll read this here because we've hit the bell here. He is before all things, and in Him all things Jesus consists. No idea how this works. But think about what the writer says here and Paul says in Colossians. That He upholds all things by the word of His power. The world is still here because Jesus' word holds it together. Everything consists in Him by His power. Again, how special was this Jesus, is this Jesus? He holds everything together. And as, as Margie talked here, and maybe the one we know the most, that we connect to the most, is He purged our sins. It was only the blood of Jesus that purged our sins. Romans 3, 24 and 25, great set of verses to really go there and, talk, and, and look about the, the grace that we got through Jesus and the sacrifice that He owned, we're going to explore this sacrifice through chapters in Hebrews. This is a little bit of an outline of Hebrews in this verse as well. Jesus purged our sin. And there's a contrast being drawn by that phrase because if Jesus purged our sin, what did not purge their sin? The law. What they had before. The this, just stating it this way implies that this was the first time that this could happen. So we'll, and we'll study a whole lot more about that. And then finally, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When you just hear those words, what image do you put in your mind? Someone who sits down at the right hand of God. It's a kingly image, right? His majesty is... A, is a, so there's no doubt that God is God, but this person who created all things, who's heir of all things, he is the glory of God, the image of God. He sat down at God's left hand? No. What's the right hand of the king? Who's on the right hand? The, the one who goes and makes everything happen. That the king wants to have happen. I can just see him saying, like he did on the cross, it is finished. Yep. He's finally home with his father. There you go. And He's that's, done everything that needed to be done. What a wonderful thought. What a, what a wonderful thought. And that part of that sitting down is exactly that. This also introduces us to a thought that we're going to study at the end of the chapter next Wednesday night, and that is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalms 110, verse 1. Psalms 10, 110, verse 1, which we first heard talked about by Jesus, then about Peter on, in, uh, on the day of Pentecost. Now the Hebrew writer will quote it, but that verse says, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Sit at my right hand. Someone who's going to sit at God's right hand is the one, and they all understood that as the Messiah. So this is also a, a, a thought for for the Messiah. So in the last uh, little bit here, let's, let's introduce what the, what the rest of the study is going to be about for the rest of the chapter. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels as he has inheritance, by inheritance attained a more excellent name than them. Okay, I got two, I got two entries for you on your, on your Jesus is Better log. The first one's easy, right? It's bold, right? He's better than the angels. It's our, it's our memory for this. What else, is, what else is better in this verse? He has a more excellent, another way of saying, really better. A better, he has a better name. And so, 
This verse would indicate to us a prominence of Jesus. Was well, that the first bell or the second bell? I guess the first. Oh, thank you very much. That he was higher in rank. That's the second bell. It was quick and he was greater. So we're just gonna we're gonna use this as our kickoff point to study the rest of of the chapter on Wednesday night. So I will just uh, I'll just point you in this direction. Um, as you do your lesson, we're gonna I'm gonna leave time, pick up the speed so that we've got time, particularly to talk about that last question in lesson one, which is in what ways does this chapter challenge you to grow? And I want you to think about that so that we can talk about that on Wednesday night and, and gain some applications from each other how this was challenged us. I was just thinking on this Jesus is better phrase. I, at first I thought, you know, two pages, boy, that's a lot. I, but it's, it well, may not be enough, but it doesn't necessarily have to say the phrase Jesus is better. I, like I've got Jesus is better because God spoke to us by His Son. Jesus is better because He created the earth. Nobody else can, can do that. So it doesn't necessarily have to say the, the word Jesus is better, but the, certainly the concepts and principles. That's just me. May, that may not be what you're looking for. Uh, when you're keeping that log of all the ways you read these, these verses that you see that Jesus is better, it's, well, it's not me. A teacher's not going to bring that. I'm going to tell you, no, he's not better because of that. So an excellent point. So think broadly. This is about... This book is about reinforcing our belief in Jesus that made us become Christians and that will keep us strong as Christians. So thank you very much.